This is Robotic Disclosure, the program that reveals everything you want to know about robotic surgery, robotic technology, and how to run a best practice robotic program for your hospital, your surgeons, and your patients. And now, here's your host, Josh Feldstein. We're speaking today with Dr. Rick Fines. Dr. Fines was a practicing cardiothoracic surgeon with more than 30 years of experience. He was formerly head of thoracic surgery at the University of Rochester and the University of North Carolina. And he also served as the medical director of perioperative services at the University of North Carolina from 2014 to 2019. Rick, it's great to have you back on Robotic Disclosure. Thank you, Josh. It's good to be here. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about a, a big challenge, a hot spot for many robotic programs, and that are the challenges uh, associated with managing uh, a robotic OR that is not dedicated exclusively to robotic surgery. Uh, that would be a an, op- an operating room that might be split, for example, 50-50 between uh, open cases or lap cases and, and robot cases. How do you think this impacts the management of the program? Let's start from that perspective. Well, it can have a tremendous impact on it, and particularly because with the a significant expansion in robotic surgery, uh, capacity and access to the robot is becomes a very big challenge. Uh, it represents a very large investment. Uh, so optimal utilization of the robot is, is really paramount. Um, now, at the University of North Carolina, we had, we had all of these challenges because we had a rapidly growing uh, program with a lot of demand on a limited number of robots. Um, our operating room, like like most operating rooms, uh, use assigned block times for our surgeons. And there are significant advantages to that in that the surgeon uh, will know that he or she has a particular amount of time on a particular on particular days uh, to, to use for their surgery. Uh, the problem comes up that uh, the robots in our operating room and in most operating rooms are confined to a single room. And when you assign that uh, surgeon to that room, very often our surgeons uh, will have a mixed practice, mixed practice of either uh, robotic and open or robotic and open and laparoscopic or thoracoscopic surgery. So that block gets assigned to them and they may only use that block for robotic surgery with the robot in the room for only half of the time. And that means that the robot essentially sits idle in that room for, for half the time. So, so that is a, is a very big problem. And we found when we actually looked at it that, that even though access to the robot was a significant problem at North Carolina, the robot itself was not being used maybe 30% of the time because of this. Now, as robotic surgery becomes more and more common and surgeons are able to fill their entire day with robotic surgery, that problem may become less and less. But at the moment, both uh, both here at, in Chapel Hill and, and across the country, and colleagues I've spoken to, it, they all face the same, the same problem with these mixed usage of, of, of block allocation. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at 
a reduction in access by even 30%, which is very, very significant. Uh, it means that there are going to be other robotic surgeons who want and need access and can't. So now this creates uh, undue frustration uh, with regard to other surgeons. And, and the, the question then becomes, how do you manage the block time uh, planning and, and access when you have high-volume surgeons uh, that may be doing a, a reasonable amount of robotic surgery, but also doing a fair amount of lap and open surgery, when the um, uh, other surgeons can't get access to that robot, it leads to dissension among the ranks. Th this really creates even uh, greater tension problems often between surgeons and administrators. Maybe you can speak to that a little. Well, I, the way we tried to handle it, and I think really the only way to handle it, is through the uh, use of release times. And that is by setting up a schedule so that the robotic rooms, if they're not being used for robotic surgery the entire day, uh, that, that is the operating room is informed of that and they can go through some sort of a manipulation to try to optimize that. Now, what is that manipulation? Well, in our case, uh, we, we released our robotic rooms about uh, seven days ahead of time so that so that if a, a robot was not, um, so that if a surgeon in, in his or her block had scheduled just the morning for robotic and an open case for the afternoon, um, within seven days, we would have the option of moving that open case into another operating room where open surgery is, is done. And that uh, can somewhat solve the problem, but it has its own challenges. Probably the biggest challenge that we had is our operating room is running at 100% capacity, so there wasn't an extra room that we could use to move to move the surgeon to. So instead, we had to uh, try to swap. So the surgeon would go out of the of the robotic room into an, another room, and hopefully that surgeon would need a robot and would be able to swap in, but, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen commonly enough to, to, to make it workable. The other problem with it is, is that surgeons really don't like to be operating, uh, in, uh, and sharing rooms with other people. And that gets back to accurate operating times. You wouldn't want to do an operation in the morning on the robot, for example, and then switch to an open room and have to wait an hour, hour and a half for the case ahead of you to finish up. That's that's a very dissatisfying day because it's because it's a waste of time. So, so there, there really are challenges uh, with that. Um, you can improve access, of course, by running in the evening or uh, running on weekends. But that again is not a particularly satisfying uh, satisfying situation for for most surgeons. But we tried to handle it as best we could by swapping swapping rooms and allowing those people who had robotic robotic cases to do to uh, come into the robot room and then finding a place for the open case if the surgeon who had the block did not was not able to fill it with robot robotic surgery. Doctor Fines, who was the 
uh, person in charge of monitoring and reorganizing or reallocating room access? Uh, was it the robotic coordinator? Was it the director of perioperative services? Who played that oversight and management uh, role? Well, it was uh, a, combina- a combination of our scheduling person who uh, who understood what the release times were and what the various block allocations were and what other cases were pending throughout the operating room. Uh, our robotic coordinator uh, did play a role in that. And then because of the, because of the um, highly emotional, if you will, status of this situation, I got involved in it uh, quite often also. Um, you know, again, it, you don't want to leave a piece of equipment as costly as this not being used for 30% of the time, but the sometimes you have to really accept that you're going to have to get more robots just because of the logistics of moving people around and making sure that there are, uh, there are, um, there's access across the board and it's only going to get worse for a while. Uh, and, uh, I suspect that robotic surgery will become, more and more common to the point where there are plenty of people using a robot for the entire day. Uh, there may also be a situation where robots and uh, robot iterations in the future uh, will become much more mobile and it can move around in the operating room much as we move operating microscopes and cautery and other uh, pieces of equipment uh, from room to room. You've raised a number of very interesting questions, and and one of them I'd like to circle back on, and that is uh, annual case volumes for a robot. Uh, one of the things that uh, our listeners may find uh, of of uh, significant interest is that usually somewhere around three hundred and twenty five cases a year on a single robot. Uh, access issues, quote unquote, begin to uh, manifest. Uh, you're describing some of the challenges with regard to uh, split operating room access. Uh, but what um, happens then is that at 325 cases or so, the uh, the alarm bell goes off and it's uh, time for a new robot. Uh, and uh, the vendor would, at that point, uh, certainly uh, be eager to open up the discussion about buying, leasing uh, the next robot. But the the fact of the matter is that uh, a, a robot that's doing only 325 cases or so a year, or less for that matter, uh, isn't anywhere near uh, capacity. Uh, in fact, we routinely at Kava see uh, high-performing uh, uh, hospitals uh, with robotic programs with uh, uh, robots in the 500s uh, uh, in terms of numbers of cases per year, and in fact higher. I think uh, the uh, the uh, the record, as far as I'm aware, uh, is a, a, a robot in uh, Asia. Uh, that does over 800 cases a year. <laughs> so when you start thinking about programs that are routinely doing five and 600 uh, or more cases a year, and then you think about programs that are doing 300 uh, with 30% or greater access reduction and, and uh, uh, challenges getting on to the, to the robot, that's not an efficient use of that capital expenditure, to your point. That's that's quite right. But the other thing I think to keep in mind is that, that so much of that really rep- is uh, reflected in the efficiency uh, of the room and how the room is being used. 
if you have uh, a, a, n- a number of surgeons on the learning curve, then your, your case volume goes down, but the amount of OR time being used by the robot remains quite high. Uh, if your turnover times are high, uh, the same thing. If your time from uh, in the room to docking is high. So all of those, uh, I think the, the first thing you need, everyone needs to do is to optimize that efficiency so that when someone comes into the operating room, they are, um, they are working, they are working, the surgeon is working as efficiently as possible, and the team around, uh, around him or her um, is, uh, is also working that way. Because just the total number of cases may not really reflect optimal, uh, uh, opt- optimal uh, utilization of the room. Optimizing efficiency is huge, uh, and uh, I think the uh, uh, making that a, a really kind of a, a paramount focus uh, makes everything better. Uh, and then knowing what the potential capacity of a robot is in terms of annual cases, uh, while those cases are optimized in their efficiency, uh, would then lead to really the highest uh, potential ROI. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, uh, adding the oversight uh, from uh, uh, administrative and clinical leadership, um, uh, releasing blocks uh, seven days in advance or according to whatever the policy might be, uh, and making sure that there's eyes on glass, that people are watching all this very carefully and making the accommodations. Uh, all these things add up, hopefully, to reducing the strain associated with managing a non-dedicated robotic OR. Would there be any other uh, final comments or suggestions or tips uh, you could suggest, Rick? Well, I think one of the key physician satisfiers and also one of the keys to efficiency in the operating room is to have a uh, dedicated, well-experienced team. Uh, many ORs do not uh, do not necessarily supply their robotic room with, with a dedicated staff, and that particularly is true if the case runs after hours. But there's absolutely no doubt that, the, that everybody is happier. The operation goes a lot smoother, and the operation goes much more efficiently and quicker if there is a dedicated team that is trained to do robotic uh, surgery on board. So you can mitigate a little bit of the of the challenges we talked about about capacity by by having that, and you certainly make your surgeons very much very uh, a lot happier. Thank you. We've been speaking today with Dr. Rick Fines, a uh, practicing cardiothoracic surgeon for more than thirty years and formerly Medical Director of Perioperative Services at the University of North Carolina. You've been listening to Robotic Disclosure. Robotic Disclosure is produced by Kava Robotics International, helping hospitals create profitable, high-quality, best-practice robotic programs in the U.S. and around the world since 2011. Visit kava-robotics.com.